Malcolm Honline is, is Malcolm Honline is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of major American Jewish organizations. He's with us Friday, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. As always, good to be with you. I appreciate that. So the Iranians are... Uh, are pretty good when it comes to ransom. They're, 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 they're capable of making a really good deal when they've got uh, something or someone that the United States wants back. What could you tell us about the uh, headline this morning regarding the Iranian hostages negotiated, hopefully soon, back to the U.S. by the Americans? I think it's an invitation to them to continue to do what they've done, which is to level accusations against Americans whom they then arrest, hold hostage, trade for huge amounts of money, and perhaps for the release of the, some people here in the United States that the United States is holding. It's a terrible precedent to give them $6 billion or $5 billion or a billion dollars at this time is a tragic error because the money is going to, going to go into supporting the network of 10 terrorist operations they have from the Houthis, the Hezbollah, the Hamas, and etc. Their activities in, in Africa that is getting that are increasingly exposed in, exposed in South America. It is not going to go to the benefit of the people and we can say that we're going to devote it to, they're going to devote it to humanitarian efforts. We've seen in the past that money is fungible. They So they take the money out of some other account. No accounts serving the people, not dealing with the drought, uh, the demonstrations in Iran are continuing. They flagrantly violate all of their commitments. We saw this week where they showcased uh, new ballistic missiles, all in violation of the restrictions, which, by the way, end this October. So we're, we're only seeing the introduction to what they are, are, are doing. I think that anything that, that reinforces this, it sends a bad message to the people who still demonstrate. We're coming up to the one-year anniversary of Amin's execution, you know, that led to the women's demonstrations. Right. They, they will, you know, this is such a, a, a bad message on every account that we should not be making deals with the terrorists we've learned in the past. That was a mistake. We sent them, you know, pallets of money before. But this could be much bigger, and, and there's more money still being held by Korea, uh, let alone the money in the IMF, about $10 billion. And we could see in the end, you know, up to $20 billion held in, in foreign accounts, uh, frozen by sanctions, being released when they have done nothing to earn it, when they have just continued all of their nefarious activities, quite the opposite, arming Hezbollah to a much greater degree, and Hamas sending more and more sophisticated equipment. I mean, this to me, it's it's a, a wrong decision. And I know there's a lot of things that have gone on in the last two weeks, so we have a lot to get to. But I just and obviously this is a big story because there's a bigger picture here. And I know you just addressed it, but I, I just want you to react, you know, specifically on this point. When you see a headline that describes this deal done by the Americans with the Iranians, with this, with the with the money that's been assigned. Uh, the money that's ready to be, you know, the ransom money that's about to be handed over, that, it, that it's been earmarked specifically for humanitarian purposes. H how can one not laugh at it? And it can't only be me and you who understand the absurdity of that. Doesn't Washington get that? Or, it, it, there's one piece to this, whether they should be negotiating at all. You just made that point. But humanitarian purposes, are, who are they kidding? My point is that, that uh, 
that you, you, there's no way we can truly monitor what they spend inside Iran. Iran has a drought. We've discussed it. Half the country's a drought. Big cities, the, the spigots have run dry. Nothing is being invested in that. But in the meantime, they put all this money into their navy. They're they're building these mini subs. They're building um, new ballistic missiles. They're advancing their nuclear program. And you know that there was a statistic that came out. And again, of course, it won't get much attention. But the, according to to um, one of the the, uh, the Iran Migration Observatory, that. The brain drain in Iran, that 67% of the people in Iran's high-tech industry are in the process of leaving, of immigrating. And 60% of those who have immigrated, which is a lot, will not return, have no intention of going back. So that's an indicator of what's happening, let alone the the fact that this year they're going to break the record for the number of executions. Where's all the human rights concerns? Where are all the other things we see the criticism, including against Israel, when we're turning a blind eye to their violations. And they're and they're able to get out because they're leaving on the condition that they are coming back. Or, or, or people can leave Iran. Oh, they Jews can leave. Can too, but they don't. Um, and the other piece to this, and I'm just curious. Again, this is not really about today, but I, I just want your perspective for a moment. Uh, there, are many of us. You know, who've lived long enough have seen Israel, for instance, change their attitude toward negotiations when it comes to, you know, episodes like this. We can, you know, point to different things and how Israel handled things 40 years ago, how they handled it 20 years ago. There's, there's been a shift in the attitude toward I'm never negotiating with terrorists, never negotiating with a rogue nation. Does the U.S. have a history like that? Like, is, is this something that would have happened 40 years ago? They've also drifted in this direction. Yeah, it's very likely. Look, we do have a, a principle of wanting to bring home every American, uh, certainly true. But here you have uh, people who, who were there voluntarily, and uh, they may be well be innocent, in which case we should be working to get their release. Right. But I, I think there's other leverage points. Iran needs this now. And, you know, they think they're riding high because they, they have the relationship with China, Russia now. Where they're talking about new alliances of Korea, Russia, China. Uh, and Iran signing defense pacts, doing other things. I mean, all of these things are not signs that they have become better. We know that from the negotiations on the Iran deal that all they do is take advantage of, of America. And, you know, I said on your show uh, many years ago, I called them Bazaris and that they're brilliant negotiators. It's a compliment. It's not an insult because right. that's what they call themselves. And the Americans don't can't can't match them when it comes to the negotiation. John Kerry couldn't. We ended up in the road deal with the JCPOA and, and, and look at the outcome. Well, I'm glad you just brought that up. Now with the JCPOA, the mainstream media is taking this episode and saying, okay, now this is going to lead to a much smoother road to a real deal between the U.S. and Iran or the you know all the countries in Iran uh, in terms of an Iran nuclear deal. I mean, is there any truth to that at all? There's no evidence of it. Quite the opposite. The major negotiator is not even there anymore, Rob Malley, uh, which is probably an improvement. But the the, um, the 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 United States keeps saying there's no backdoor negotiations on this. There were talks going on all along, and I reported on it about prisoners and about about the, the hostages. I think they should be called. Right. Uh, and uh, uh, you know, in the meantime, look at their actions. How they harassed the shipping, in, and now we're, we're putting Marines on boats going into the Straits of Hormuz, and we are increasing our, our military presence, especially naval uh, and air in, in the Gulf. Why? Because of the Iranian threat, because of their hostile actions. 
So they, they have not demonstrated any real goodwill. They're sending, selling the drones to to the to the Russians to fight to, to bomb in Ukraine. That, that Bolivia is now buying it. Others are buying their drones. They're they're active in South America against American interests, the vital American interests in our backyard. There's no sign that they're prepared, and they're not dealing with the IEA in good faith, the International Atomic Energy Agency. And so, you know, it's it's, it's there's no indication whatsoever. That, that to give us faith that they're going to be using the money or they're going to change their course of action. By the way, there are some people fascinated by prison conditions around the world. Did you see the descriptions of a prison in Iran? I have seen it from, and I've talked to people who were prisoners in Evian, which is the worst of them, which is where these people were being held. It's horrific. Unbelievable. Also, I don't even know if you saw this story. I may have lucked out that I just logged on a couple of minutes before we uh, started speaking. But there's an Iranian who's been arrested in Israel, a Jew, an Iranian Jew who's just been arrested in Israel for spying for Iran. I mean, that's pretty scary. That I mean, I don't know, maybe they threatened him. Maybe they threatened him or his family's life, and he had to go you know, to Israel and, and, and bring them some information about security. That's what the first small article about the episode says. I mean... Is it is it possible there's a significant number of Jews in Iran who are acting as spies and giving them information about Israel? It, it, and first of all, it's a big leap from one person being arrested to saying there's significant numbers. Right. Number two, they, they obviously had the information on this guy because he never even got into the country. He, he was sent back on a plane to Iran. And he admitted that that he was recruited for this purpose. And that's part of the problem of the Jews who chose to remain, that all of them not only can be potential hostages, but also can be held to to engage in these kind of activities because they can hold members of their family. I mean, they have no humanitarian limits. They have no uh, considerations. And, you know, it's very unfortunate that we have a, a, a community that is hostage. Uh, I understand that their commitments and it, uh, the institutions continue to function. Uh, I don't uh, wonder what will happen to this person when he gets back. And what and what did the Israelis do with his with his relatives who live in Israel? No, nothing. They, there's no uh, so far. There's no indication that anybody else was involved. He was supposed to get specific information. He's not a high level spy, you know, who's a, a technician who's going to go and <coughs> check out nuclear sites and stuff. I think it's much more routine, but information will will come out as uh, you know as the days go on. Also, I mean, anything, any information that someone like that could uh, transfer over to Iranian authorities. I mean, at this point in 2023, doesn't Iran have the same capabilities that other countries have to spy on countries via satellite and to you know really get the get the lay of the land, so to speak? You know, w- with means that do not necessitate you know uh, deploying spies to go to a different. country? There's no replacement, really, uh, for the ability to have on-the-ground observation. It's true, satellites, if they're very refined, as Israel's are, and they can monitor a lot of stuff, but also their operations inside Iran required people on the ground. You couldn't do that remotely, even if you can have remote guns that could fire and and the people can be uh, a distance away, but but the bottom line is that you need uh, on-the-ground observation. That's part of the reason when everybody says, you know, Israeli troops should pull out of all the areas in the West Bank. They need that human intelligence. They right. need that contact and that presence there to be able to evaluate and properly uh, respond to, to the terrorists. They don't operate by any rules. Yeah. And um, Iran's uh, satellite capacity 
is more limited, although they, they have tried to put some up and uh, claim, and, they, and I think they failed in most cases. Um, all right. Uh, one of the uh, over the last couple of weeks, uh, tell me if my perspective on this is right or not. It seems that in recent days, there is a closer and closer shot of getting to a real U.S. Saudi Arabia Israel alliance or whatever you want to call it. Use whatever word you want. Yet, at the same time, it seems Washington wants to project an image that it's not imminent. Are those two things coexisting the way I see it? I do think that the administration wants to deal very badly. I do think that uh, they would like to see something with Israel as well. Uh, And one of the reasons is because a deal with Saudi Arabia will not sit well with many members of Congress, especially Republicans. But if there is an Israeli component, something that really impacts Israel's security in significant ways and standing, it would become much more attractive to many of them to support it. As you know, since 9-11 and and even before, perhaps even after, uh, you know, relationships with Saudi Arabia, uh, not only because of Khashoggi and other human rights thing and their flirtations with China, the the reestablishment of embassies in, with Iran, uh, many, and, uh, and other things as well. We we acknowledge the fact that Saudi Arabia has moved ahead. We, we've talked about the fact that their textbooks have removed the negative references to Jews, which is a huge move uh, ordered by MBS himself, that the uh, negative references and, the, uh, and uh, uh, even Holocaust uh, remembrance, things have, have changed. But the um, you know the, the, they face also their internal pressures and some of the events in the region and and in Israel have uh, mitigated against it and the the general anger is directed at the United States because they feel that they have withdrawn from the region they have not been responsive to the needs neither UAE Saudi Arabia others uh, and you can have coexisting all of the things you mentioned they're not contradictory. The United States has been in discussion with them. They, the, the demands that they're making include a civilian nuclear program, which many in Israel have, have said is impossible because the civilian program becomes a military program, which will then ignite the, arm, the nuclear race with Egypt, Turkey, others all wanting to get nuclear uh, capacity and understanding nobody wants to be the last to have it because you become then a victim. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, they want that. They want a defense pact which I do think is possible. I do want to see U.S.-Saudi relationships warmed up and reestablished. Saudi Arabia is a key player. Uh, we need them to lower the price of, of oil, and they, they can do it by increasing production. They work with the Russians on this to increase the price. And to see the, the various uh, things, it, it depends on what kind of negotiations are going on and how they can... Uh, find some sort of a middle path to to advance it. Uh, am I right that they're downplaying it? Am I right that they're like trying their hardest to convince people that it's not going as quickly as it really is? That the Saudis or the U.S.? No, Washington. Well, Washington doesn't want, uh, I think, to raise the expectations, and it's their right, because then you only lead to disappointment and right. criticism. It's, so, just, it's just so I, funny. It's so funny. You can't... But, but also, there's another factor in that, and that is that people have to understand how to deal. I've dealt with the Saudis for 35 years. You don't read about it. The reason that they continue to deal with me, and we've done some great things when the book comes out, we'll, we'll tell it, um, 
because I never leak it. I never talk about it in public. And I told this to Israeli leaders and American leaders, if you want to deal with you want to make a deal with them, stop talking about it. We keep raising the price. Every time we talk about it and make it more important, they will just raise the price and demands, as always true. In but, it, but it's so funny. It's the exact opposite of how they deal with Iran, whether, we, whether you like the deal or not. Every step of the way, Washington is telling you what's happening in the process of making a deal with Iran. It, it, it sounds like you don't. You don't know what they're really revealing about what's happening, what's not happening, about the backdoor negotiations, the things that failed, the steps that are still underway. Um, there are a lot of other reports about, you know, why, why are we allowing them to export the, the – uh, violate the oil embargoes that, they, that they're making $6 billion a year from oil? They, they had $4 billion in foreign currency reserves in 2020. Today they have $43 billion. Because we're not enforcing stuff. So you can't say that because of what you see is really all the stuff that's going on and what we're doing and not doing. Yeah, I hear that. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio around the world web at NachumSiegel.com and the NachumSiegel Network and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. We will get to Memphis, everybody. Yes, I know. I'm being bombarded with reminders about the Memphis shooting. We are going to get to it. Um, But before we leave the Middle East... What can you tell us? I assume it was around 10 days ago. I don't remember exactly, you know, where in these two weeks it was. But the, there were rocket strikes from the Golan toward Damascus uh, that obviously I am assuming it's either assumed was Israel or Israel actually took responsibility for. What's the story with, uh, uh, with, with that attack in northeastern Israel? From northeastern Israel or to northeastern Israel? No, from, because I didn't even, it's funny. In, in what I saw, there, I there don't. There were rocket attacks, you know, attempts from Lebanon to Israel. They fell short. Uh, fortunately, there are constant efforts to try and penetrate the borders. And they and the Iranians are continuing to ship more and more sophisticated equipment via Syria to uh, uh, Israel. This was an attack on a very critical location near the airport where uh, store they store some of the equipment that the Russian that the Iranians are sending in. Uh, they were very uh, targeted hits and hit some key people uh, as well. The, the Syrians claimed that some of their soldiers uh, were were uh, also uh, hurt in the incident. But Israel is doing things to to both strike at the, at the um, sources of. Uh, launches or m- known movement of of weapons because if those things get established inside Lebanon and inside Syria and or into Lebanon you can't remove it that's why Hezbollah can play so so as the game that is playing and we didn't even scratch the surface at Lebanon of the internal disruptions there Hamas the Hezbollah killing Christians and the fight within between Palestinians and then Halua in the in the refugee camp uh, so called and the uh, I mean, the, the events there of a, in a failed state that's in total collapse and uh, Hezbollah, despite the agreement with Israel, which was supposed to calm things down and giving them the rights to to, to um, explore their gas, uh, offshore gas things, they're not doing it because uh, and care about the benefit of the people. They just want to stop Israel and they want to use their resources and they're escalating it in part because they read the divisions in Israel as weakening Israel. They read that soldiers not going to report, and Nasrallah believes it, and he, he acts on his perception of things. So the strikes in, in Syria are going on on a regular basis, but we we see the troops that have been brought up by Hezbollah 
of the terrorists that they brought to the border. They do provocative actions, including marching in violation of the U.N. agreements along the border of Israel with weapons. They they uh, put up the tent, which Israel still hasn't taken down. And I think a lot of people speculated it's a mistake that they should have taken them both down right away, that once you let it send a message of weakness, if you, if you don't draw the line, but Israel will say, look, it's not worth it over that. It's not a threat. Uh, but it is a violation of their of the agreement. They didn't cross the, the second boundary into the border into Israel, but they have made attempts to. And, you know, they had a guy who got in with a, an IED, which exploded in, inside Israel uh, a couple of months ago. So the, there is constant escalation that's going on. And again, it doesn't get much attention. We try to, to put the information out about what, what's really happening in Lebanon. There's a lot of expectation that we're headed to a war there. This is probably the highest uh, level of alert that we've seen in a long time uh, along the border and, and inside Lebanon, where, as you see, the, the, yeah, every faction is fighting every other faction. And I don't, you know, just going back to the beginning of this piece, I, I don't know if the article, and I'm, I'm trying to find it, I can't find it this second, maybe 10 days ago, I don't even know if the article spoke about the provocation. I don't even know if they, you know, laid it out the way you just did in terms of what's going on from Syria and Lebanon against Israel. I think it was just painted as a, uh, I don't want to say independent of anything else, but, you know, as a rocket strike from Gaza to Damascus that, you know, hit some prime targets. Now, again, I don't have it in front of me. and I don't want to blame everything on the mainstream, you know, print and the digital media. But still, I don't think it, I don't I don't think it delved into, you know, why Israel would behave this way the way you just did. And, and we have to remember also that the puppeteer pulling the strings is Iran on Hezbollah. They can't do this independently. Whether Iran wants an all-out war, they want to tweak it, they want to have a limited confrontation. You know, every house in southern Lebanon has a rocket room, like a dining room, a living room, and a rocket room. There are 150,000, maybe much more today, uh, rockets uh, aimed at Israel from Lebanon, far greater than exists. The people of Lebanon do not want another war. And that's why you see the comments that will, by Israel's defense minister, Gallant, that they will bomb him back into the Stone Age, right. all the rest, because they're trying to send a message that we take this seriously, we're capable. Don't read the demonstrations, the divisions, that we will be united if, if there is, God forbid, a, a escalated war. They continue to dig the tunnels. They continue all the kinds of provocations that you can imagine, and attempts to penetrate. They want an incident. They want to be able to take hostages. They want to hit some of the communities along the northern border, all of which are on high alert right now. And, you know, whether it's at Sheba Farms or any of the other locations, we've seen an escalation of incidents. And the U.N. troops sit there and, you know, don't even bother to come out. They're busy playing cards. Uh, and they uh, have not fulfilled it. And all the violations of 1710, U.N. resolution on uh, that, uh, after the Lebanon war, are, are not being adhered to. Did you see the run on cash in Lebanon? Yeah, first of all, there's very little cash. The currency is almost worthless. The foreign reserves are all the way down. There's hardly any productive activity. Tourism did shoot up in recent years, but now again will be much less. And and uh, and where are all the protests about the killing of Christians in 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 the camp by by Hezbollah? Where are all the protests about the violence that's going on there? That uh, you know are, is taking lives and further destabilizing. That you know they couldn't find a president. They can't fill the jobs because nobody wants it. And the uh, internal divisions 
remain very great, and Hezbollah is taking advantage of it. Uh, all right, let's move to the diaspora. Uh, two stories from the United States. I don't know if you want to address them together. I think they're something, you know, in certain ways, obviously they're related. One was, I don't know if, if we can call it shocking. You could tell us, you know, what the expectations were. Uh, but they actually came back with a decision on the uh, Pittsburgh um, uh, uh, Pittsburgh synagogue um, a terrorist attack of the death penalty. They're giving him the death penalty, or at least that's where the stage is right now. Obviously, I would assume it's being appealed uh, for the 11 people that he uh, murdered on that uh, Shabbos morning. At the same time, you know, every parent's worst nightmare uh, because we, we pray that none of our schools... Uh, I mean, nobody's school. We pray that every school in the United States and everywhere stays safe, obviously. But it's a nightmare considering that something could happen at a uh, yeshiva or a day school. And in Memphis, I mean, you'll tell us the details. I don't know if the authorities got lucky. I don't know if, uh, uh, you know, it was a circumstance where literally someone jumped to make sure that this guy couldn't get into the building. Uh, But it was a very uh, scary episode in retrospect. What could you tell us about these two situations? Uh, well, clearly not related, but they are indicative of the incredible increase. And it's something, you know, we've warned about it on the show, and I know people didn't like it, and all people say it's due down, about the increase in anti-Semitism, which continues to rise, and the level of threat increases uh, as well. The Memphis case is a different one. It is unique. It was a Jewish guy. It was like somebody who went to that school. He, he's obviously... A, a, a mental case in, in many respects, or uh, that doesn't dismiss what he was going to do because he was functioning within the community. Uh, he went there with a gun, intending to do some damage, it appears, and the building was locked because they had had training from the security operations, Secure Community Network, working with the Federation, as we are all over the country. It's remarkable in every school and everybody who's listening who is a parent of a child in school, if their schools have not taken advantage of the services that are available from the secure community network through the Federation, through other few local communities, through CSI, through all of the other groups, uh, CSS, that, that are providing services and training. Because when you're facing the incident, it's too late. If people don't know that the doors have to be self-locking and and that you prevent the entry of this guy, and then he tried to get into another door, and uh, and the only thing going on inside was construction, and the construction manager walked out, and he, you know, he didn't want to confront him, but then he walked around the front and started firing, then he drove away, and as you know, he was uh, killed in a shootout. Uh, so I think it's a different kind of case, um, but indicative of the violence that we're seeing, and I'm telling you, the number of cases that are coming of incidents involving Jews being subjected to uh, in public transportation, walking on a street in public locations uh, is, is uh, unbelievable. And we, we see the severity increasing and the, uh, the need for communities to be more alert for people to take uh, the t- simple steps like putting cameras outside your houses. So at least there's a record. Uh, of, of people who are attempting to do things or invading the communities. Uh, it's very important. The second, uh, uh, so that was the Memphis case, was a unique circumstance and complicated uh, in, in the decision in Pittsburgh, uh, you know, at a time when the death penalty is not very popular is uh, is remarkable. I think it's, it's a reflection of how horrific this was how in, in the intent there's no remorse on this guy's part there's there's uh, i mean his 
the planning, his uh, Nazi-like uh, 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 involvement, uh, that a jury reached a decision pretty quickly. And so it, it wasn't a snap decision that all of a sudden they say, well, we'll send the message and then let him off. We'll see whether it's actually carried out. But the fact that I think it's a very important message to send at a time when Jewish communities and some others are under constant threat. And we are are seeing it in there's every part of the country, what's happening in the campuses, which we can devote many hours to uh, telling the story, what's happening o- o- online, what's happening in in uh, just in every venue. And now we're hearing much more, not from the students on campus alone, but from professors who are being threatened. And we know the four university professors in New York who are being investigated. And uh, and yet the, the, the speaker at the graduation of the law school, the community can get away staying with what they what she said. And, and and the history is not just one incident with her. So they know what they were. Who, the students elected her and they knew it. And, and the, the administration had to know what to, to expect or should have known what to expect from it. So, uh, okay. I I'm very much appreciate um, everything you said about both the situations, uh, but boy, you, you, you emphasize an even more important point. Uh, if we're not going to consider the Memphis attack anti-Semitic, which I totally get, obviously the, the, the percentage of these school shootings around this country that are perpetrated by former students, and unless I'm just you know thinking of specific ones, uh, I think the percentage is pretty high. So the the groups of people, frankly, who who get this notion or you know are mentally unstable and therefore you know they get onto this track of wanting to go into a school and do this, you know, is, is there are multiple groups of people that uh, that one can turn to or one can um, uh, one can cite you know, are responsible for these types of episodes. So to, when you say step up security, especially as the school year begins, you know, you really have to have to consider it's not just the anti-Semites that are uh, uh, that are out there that, that may want to do damage and, and, and cause chaos and havoc, but it's, uh, you know, there are other groups of people as well. So we yeah, can't... I say that that's a minority, that's a real minority of the cases, the bulk of the cases uh, and, and look at the report this week coming from the, the most unlikely source, the New York Times, which indicates that Code Pink, which is this violently anti-Israel uh, organization, uh, is being funded by China. What? We know Iran is. China is behind Code Pink and funding it. And and we know that the that Iran is funding groups here. We know that um uh, uh, other anti-Semitic elements uh, are being funded, aided, abetted by the by Arabs, by uh, countries like Qatar have poured hundreds of billions into the United States in businesses, in on campus, on uh, other places, hostile atmospheres, uh, creating and in, in, uh, taking over the Near East Studies departments, which has been going on for decades. But we're seeing it really manifest now, where faculty are coming to us and begging for help and support. And we have to do much more, and we need money to file lawsuits against universities. We are, we are have there's NCRI, which is doing amazing work exposing what's being done and and uh, online, and how we manipulate the major f- form of communication today for young people is being has been taken over and is is being used in in very dangerous ways. They, they monitored a hundred million tweets. Between 2022, they presented it in the Knesset last week, and they showed that Israel 
is accused of violation of human rights or mentioned in regard to human rights 58 times more than Russia, <laughs> 38 times more than Iran. And, and not only that, but the uh, the level, the, the level of hostility and the encouragement of, of violence that Tlaib can talk about, Congresswoman Tlaib can talk about the destruction of Israel, that and people are getting away with it. The level of tolerance keeps rising, and this is the lesson from its right, that it's us. It's what we will tolerate. We have to say no more, and we're not going to accept it. We're not going to allow it. And we are doing much more. There are a lot of campaigns. We're spending well into the nine figures on it, but a lot of it is not impactful. I mean, you can't eradicate, I believe, anti-Semitism, hatred. You can't eradicate, but you can force it back under the rocks. You can't get young people to understand what uh, what what this is and, and that it not become so fashionable and acceptable. And especially in minority communities, we see it. We see it in extreme left, extreme right. Everybody says, oh, it's that side, it's that side. No, it's all sides. And, uh, and coming in, in Muslim communities and sources and uh, as we see in the black community, black entertainers who reach tens of millions of people with the message and they can apologize later. But the damage is done. Um, do you have any details on how they prevented the terror attack at the Mumbai Chabad house? Good intelligence. Simple. And, and, and they, they found out later because they found the pictures of Chabad, of the rabbi of the house in, in uh, I guess, on the phone or the uh, on the sky who, who was uh, planning to carry out a terrorist outrage. And your reaction to the Michigan State Senator Santana, who's apologized for the uh, visit to Israel? So if anybody, it's, it's a state senator. Right, state and, senator. Yeah, I just want to make sure yeah. people know not a U.S. senator, but but it's not impossible for a U.S. senator to have done this thing. And I, and I have to say, I think he complimenting Jeffrey. made amazing statements there as the Democratic leader. And he was there with Steny Hoyer, who uh, stepped down as leader, but is a great friend. And there were Republican de de delegations. The fact that you can have bipartisan uh, groups going to Israel uh, is very important. Uh, and there are courageous voices, Richard Torres's uh, op-eds, and, and uh, I don't want to go through everybody who's done right. it, but you, those people have to be thanked, they have to be supported, they have to be shown not just going after the, the, uh, the bad guys, but when a woman, uh, when a state senator feels so pressured by her community, she has to apologize for going to Israel? If, if, if you need an indicator, and, and of course, in you know, Michigan, you have large Arab populations, uh, Muslim populations, that uh, are very active. People don't know. This, a lot of it is below the radar, but it's not so isolated where others have been intimidated, including from New York, or have publicly said they won't go to Israel. Yeah. Interesting times we're living in, to say the least. Absolutely, and that's why we need to be unified. Oh, why we oh. can't afford divisions and, and the separations that are taking place and the, the, the message that it sends to our enemies. Malcolm, you know, whatever differences exist, unity is still more important. Malcolm, those listening from other parts of the world outside of New York and New Jersey may not be as familiar with this, but I have to mention this before you go. 
Um, last Friday, as this influencer gathered two, 3,000 people immediately within minutes at Union Square on in a very, very popular area of Manhattan, folks, if you're not familiar with Union Square. Uh, and, of course, they started to, they got together and they thought they were getting uh, some free game that was supposedly going to be given away. And, of course, it turned into a riot uh, with windows being shattered, people being injured, property being damaged, uh, firecrackers being thrown at police, etc., 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 etc. I said to myself, and I know sometimes you and I differ on, on how dramatic the, uh, we should present these things, but I said to myself, my God, we are now in an era in 2023 where somebody on Twitter who's popular can get on their social media outlet and tell people, let's gather together in this specific area, i.e., I don't know, this Jewish neighborhood, and have some fun and smash some car windows and, and harass the people and do this, or maybe they'll even say that they're giving out free stuff at one of the Jewish stores and there'll be a riot when the free stuff isn't given away when thousands show up. We are living in a precarious time and now all of these things as we saw last Friday in New York can happen within minutes. And look how they attack the police and I think people are so free with criticism of the police when they understand what they were up against and maybe perhaps they weren't prepared because they could not have anticipated uh, this uh, I, I, and and this was not directed at a Jewish community. There was no Jewish overtones to this at all. It was this influencer. But you see the power of these influencers. Names that ninety nine percent of the people of our listeners wouldn't even know. And and I experienced this uh, working with uh, people who who were in the business, and we were trying to take them to Israel and trying to to at least reach them to make sure that the, their hostile message or anti-Semitic messages would not you know, that they will be aware of it and be sensitive to it. And th- there's a whole subculture that we don't even understand, let alone the ability for them to ignite audience and, and did not want to have a riot. It wasn't his intention, but they started, they attacked the police cars. They start throwing bottles at, at police officers that there's no respect for law and order in New York city in the, in the heart of Manhattan should be a, a, a warning to all of us. And not that I agree with you, it should not be dismissed. Again, not because it was targeting Jews, it was not, it was nothing to do directly with us. But what what is happening within our society and the tolerance and the, the lack of respect for, for law and order and, and frankly we have to do much more instead of rewarding people who engage in these kind of activities, there has to be real punishment. And Frank and I know people are very sensitive on the issue of immigration, but we don't know who's coming into the United States. We know that people are coming not just from South America, but from all over the world. And it's an easy way to penetrate the country, and it's an easy way to pose dangers. Most immigrants are not going to be criminals, and, and that. but we're dealing with nefarious enemies who will take advantage of every opportunity and any loophole. So we have to be super sensitive and careful, and, and America should be... Uh, you know, dealing with it, uh, the situation in its borders much more at, on its borders in a much more serious way. Well said. Uh, I'm with Nefesh Benefesh next week, so please, God, we'll reconvene two weeks from today. Have a wonderful Shabbos and uh, and a good Chodesh. Good Chodesh to everybody in the beginning of a good year. I'm sure things will be will be better. We have to work together. We have to work with our elected officials. Democrats and Republicans, this is not a time for partisanship. It's a time when we have to unite, get people registered to vote so they can vote this year. I think it's still time for November and for next November and for uh, and to be involved. It's not a time to sit on your hands. 
And I hope that Rabbanim and others will talk about it and that every shul will take the steps necessary for protection. Amen. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Malcolm Holmline is vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations with us Fridays, 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time for the weekly update here at JM and the AM. As I mentioned, next week we'll be with Nefesh Benefesh in Israel. We'll reconvene with the weekly update two weeks from today. Uh, make sure to be tuned in Wednesday morning between 6 and 9 a.m. when our three-hour broadcast from the plane, from the actual charter flight of Nefesh Benefesh with Olim from North America to Israel uh, when that show airs. Again, it airs 6 a.m., starting at 6 a.m. It's coming Wednesday morning here on the Nahum Siegel Network.